0: Good morning, church. How are you guys doing today? Good. It's so good to see you all here. So good to have some of you joining us online. We got some people online from a long way, away too. A lot of fun today. Hey, when my wife and I, Jen, and I got married, it wasn't long after that before her parents bought a cabin in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. And it wasn't long after that before we took a little family vacation up there. And when we got up there, my father-in-law invited me to go fishing with him, which is fun. Now, I love fish. I love to eat fish. I love seafood. Uh, that's great. But an important piece of the story, I did not grow up fishing. So here I am with my father-in-law, who's invited me to go fishing in his canoe with him. So we go down, and, and he hands me the fishing rod and all that. Great. Great. And uh, we get in the canoe, and I've done a lot of canoeing, so I canoe us out into this beautiful lake, and then he opens up the tackle box, and there I am, this novice, looking at this assortment, just dumbfounded by the assortment of lures, some of them sparkly and shiny and glittery and pretty, some of them like have a thousand hooks hanging from like some medieval torture device, some of them just boring as could be. And so, being the novice, I am, I I look at him and say, hey, Cal, uh, what should I use? And all of you who fish regularly, you know the response, right? Depends what you want to catch. Well, I'm going to catch some fish that you're going to clean, you're going to cook, I'm going to eat, I'm going to enjoy. It. That's what I want to catch. And uh, he's, he chuckled. He got the joke, and so he hooked me up, helped me out, and uh, we caught some fish. We caught a lot of fish. I caught this one fish. You should have seen me reel in. I caught a fish. It was th- th- it was this big, right? <laughs> No, no, I didn't have that much success. We caught a lot of fish, none, like, too impressive, none picture-worthy, although we have pictures of some of the smaller ones just to mock me, and I'm not going to show them, but we, we caught a lot of fish, and we took them back, we kept them, he cleaned them, we cooked them, we ate them, and they were really good. Fishing, that's what Jesus was all about. And as Jesus followers, that's what we are to be all about. It's a different kind of fishing. We're not in the canoe. We're not on the lake. We're not fishing for actual fish, but fishing is the Christian life. That's who we are. That's what we're supposed to be about. Last week, we took a look at Jesus' words to his first disciples. Jesus called to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Now, the people he was talking to, the guys he was calling, were actual fishermen. He had just helped them catch a massive um, cachet of fish. And so now he says, you think that's impressive. You come with me. You're going to fish for people and just wait and see what God does through you with that kind of fishing. Fishing. It was Jesus' life. He was always fishing. He was always inviting people to follow him, always inviting them to find new life in him, to put away and leave behind their old broken way of living and find a new way of living, a new way of being, a new purpose and meaning in him, inviting them to be part of his kingdom and not just waiting to be part of a kingdom that would come, but to bring the kingdom in the here and now. And he was never just content to be with those he already had, Never just content to, to relax with the ones who were already following. Jesus was always pursuing, always inviting others to come, to follow, to be part what he was up to. He was always out fishing for more. Expanding the kingdom. Expanding his reach. Listen to how Jesus explained his mission at one point. He said, for the Son of Man, that's a title he often used for himself. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Seek and and save. We're in a series right now called And. And uh, just using this little ampersand, and, and, odd title for a series, right? This little word, and, but so much power in and. And is a joiner. It, it brings things together. It, it unites things. And we live in a time in history That there might be more division or at least as much division as we have ever known, as we've ever seen. Divided on all kinds of things all the time. You name it, people are going to get divided. We're not even going to go there today. Doesn't matter what the topic is. People will choose this or that. But as God's people, there's plenty of room for us to say, no, it's not this or that. It's this and that. To be people who are uniting, people who are joining, people who are bringing things together. That's what we're about. We want to be a people of God who are helping people find and follow Jesus. Who are helping seek and save. People who are about grace and truth. People about compassion and conviction. People who are willing to fish. (laughs) That's what Jesus was about. That was his mission, seeking and saving seeking and saving, seeking and saving that which was lost. That was his purpose. That was his mission. And so that should be our mission. That should inform our purpose. It's true that if we look at the life of Jesus, that Christology should influence missiology, which should influence ecclesiology. And that's a really nerdy, geeky, preacher way of saying what I'm about to tell you. It just means that when we look at Jesus' life, that how he lived, what he said, what he did, what he taught, that the way he lived should influence the mission we're on. It should shape what our mission is, how we live, what we're about. And our mission should influence how we do church, what happens when we gather. That the mission informs the gathering. That's what we're about. You know, friend, God doesn't just want you to come to church. He wants you to be the church. He doesn't just want you to come here. He wants you to be the church. So that means that as we gather, the things that we're about should be in some way leading us back to mission. That church, when we gather, is not just about listening and learning. It's not just about praising and praying. Those things are important. Those things are hugely important. We should be doing those things. Listening, learning, praising, praying. But those things alone are incomplete. Because those things alone do not accomplish the mission. There's also ascending. To seek and to save. To join Jesus on mission there. Jesus was once asked what the greatest commandment is. And his response was this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. And when he says second, don't think the second as a lesser command. It's like the second half of the command. That these two things are inextricably inseparable. That they're bound up together. So the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love your neighbor. That those two things make the great command that's what Jesus told us to be about. Love God, love your neighbor. According to Jesus, that's what matters most. But we don't have to look very far to see that that's not happening. We don't have to look very far to know that there's not enough love for God, not enough love for neighbor in our world. And so because of that, because people aren't doing a great job with the great command of loving God and loving neighbor, that's why Jesus gave us the great commission. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Go make disciples. Go into all the world, all the nations, all the people in all places, and teach them how to love God. That's what Jesus said. And teach them how to love me, all the commands, to love God, to love people. Anywhere that the great command is not being fulfilled, that means the great commission should be sending people there. That's why we have it. The great commission exists to fulfill the great commandment. The great commission exists because the great commandment is not being lived out. People are not loving God. And so the way we do that, it's through great compassion. Great compassion. I'd say it this way. Our purpose as followers of Jesus, our purpose as the church, as we be the church is to live the great commission by demonstrating great compassion to accomplish the great command. We go into all the world, to all people everywhere, helping them find and follow Jesus. And we do it by showing them the love of God and telling them the love that God has for them so that they in turn will love God and love others. That's what we're about. That's the whole of the Christian life. Have you ever wondered what Christianity is about? That kind of simplifies it. Now, there's a big piece of that. His name's Jesus, and we'll get to that in a minute. But author and pastor John Piper says, often he says this, that missions exist because worship does not. Missions exist because worship does not. There are places where God is not being worshipped. You know, God deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. So anywhere that God is not getting praise is where missions should be. Anywhere that prays for God is absent, missionaries should be present. Because God deserves the praise of all creation. He deserves the praise of all people. And so there are missionaries scattered all over the globe, some of them in the most dangerous places in the world. Because in those places, there's no love for God and there's no real love for people. And so their job is to go on mission there, to bring People to love God and to love people so God will get the praise. It's all about His glory. It's not just for us. It's not just for the church. Now there's a win in it for us that we get to experience the love of God for us. That that when we help other people, God gets praise and they get to experience His love. But church, I'm going to encourage you just to look around. Just look around our community. Look around your neighborhood. Look around your workplace. For those of you younger in the room, look around your school. Look around your sports team, the clubs you're part of. Are people loving God? Are people loving their neighbor in those places? If not, and my guess is, for most of us in this room, we're in a lot of places all the time where we'd say, no, not not enough. There's not enough love for God. There's not enough love For neighbor in my neighborhood, in my school, in my workplace, in my community, on my team. But then you know why God has you there? God has you there to be his missionary. Right where you are. You know, to be a missionary for God doesn't mean you have to pack up your stuff and go to the other side of the world. It means you love God right where you are. You're just living on mission for him to help all those who are around you, who are not loving God and not loving people, to help them Experience the love of God so they in turn will love him back. That's really all it means to be a missionary. And that's why God has all of us where he has us. Is to be his missionaries in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. For some of you, for many of you, right there in your home. That's what God has for us. So if we're to join Jesus on this great mission of seeking and saving the lost, if we're to join Jesus on mission, if we're going to join Jesus on the great fishing expedition, we probably need to know what kind of lure to use. We, we, We know who we're trying to get. We're trying to help other people come to know him. So how do we do that? What's the lure that we fish with? Well, for Jesus and the early church, it was simply show and tell. That was how they did it. Show and tell. Any of you remember show and tell grade school? remember? Three of you? How many of you remember show and tell? Like, like like, listen, man, like that for me, there was recess, lunch, and show and tell. That was the best part of school. Everything else was like just getting through, right? How many of you were with me on that, right? If you're online and that was you, say, yeah, with you. All right, like, so I still remember second grade show and tell when my show and tell was the best in school. I know that sounds arrogant. It is, but it's true. All right, some of y'all have heard me tell this story before, part of it, uh, because in the summer before second grade, both my parents were teachers, and so we had the whole summer off, we loaded up the entire family, six people and the dog, my two older brothers, my older sister, my mom and dad, and the family dog that was like part old the rest mutt, I don't even know what she was, and we loaded into this family camper van that my dad built, and we left Springfield, Illinois, and we drove all the way up to Alaska. And back. We camped all the way there and back. And we saw everything. I mean, we like went around the West. We went through like Canada. We saw everything, man. You name it. And if it's in that part of the world, we saw it. My siblings would say we may have spent too long seeing some of that. I was so little enough, everything was cool to me, right? Everything was huge. It was great. So when it came time for show and tell in second grade, I was telling my teacher about it. My teacher knew that my dad was a college professor. She got a hold of him and asked if he would come in and take some time and just help teach the class. And so dad came in. We did a slide show of our vacation. And it was great because dad had all these pictures that he'd taken to me. We turned them the slides. Now, don't think like... Cool PowerPoint presentation. This was back in the day when you had like the little reel where your film had been turning inside and you click, 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 click. But my dad was really engaged and he was good. And dad looked a little bit like Papa Smurf and Santa Claus combined. So the kids were all intrigued just by that. It was cool. And, uh, and and we had pictures of like the whole thing. Right? Like, there were pictures of me standing on mountaintops, pictures of me standing on glaciers, pictures of me standing at the top of a canyon, pictures of me then down in that canyon with a waterfall coming behind us. We had pictures everywhere. We had pictures of grizzly bears. We had a picture of a mama grizzly bear and her cubs. We had a picture of the mama grizzly bear chasing a guy away from the cubs. That was awesome. I wish we had filmed. It was cool. Another story, another time. We had pictures of all of it, man. We had so many cool pictures. We had pictures with me, the Alaskan dog sled team. I mean, it was great. So all these pictures of all these things. But then even better, we had some of the stuff we brought back with us. So I got to tell part of the story. But then I got to actually pass stuff around and show it. We had ashes from a volcano. That was cool. I had gold from a mine. We had a starfish from the Pacific Ocean. And I had... (laughs) I had poop from a moose in Canada. I don't know who brings back moose poop. I don't know. I don't know why we did, but we did. I had it, so I showed it, and they loved it. It was great, and my show and tell showed up everybody that year. It was awesome. Now, listen, we like show and tell, and we never stop showing and telling. You, You. well, I got a room full of adults. You still show and tell. You know it. Somebody asks you about your favorite restaurant. You're going to show and tell. They ask you about your favorite kind of meal. They ask you about your favorite kind of music, your favorite movie. You're going to want to show and tell. They start talking about your shoes, your favorite shoes, your vehicle, whatever it is. You're going to show and tell. We got grandparents in the room. Any grandparents? We get some grandparents. Yeah. 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 They talk about your grandkids. Just sit down and wait for the pictures. It's a long time of show and tell. You get grandparents talking about their grandbabies. It, you're going to be there a while. We love to show and tell. You might even be annoyed Because you've seen this commercial too much with a dude with a multi flex tailgate, right? What's he doing? Oh, they say he's flexing, that's just another word. He's show and tell. That's what we do. We show, we tell all the time. And why is show and tell so great? Because when we show something that has enough interest and it piques somebody's curiosity, they want us to tell. When the kids in my class saw pictures of grizzly bears and Canadian moose poop, they wanted to tell they they wanted me to tell the story. They wanted to know about it. So I did. So we tell the story. Jesus and the disciples were no different. They would show and then they would tell. Now, they weren't showing and telling cool gadgets or neat vacations. No, for Jesus and the disciples, their show and tell looked a whole lot different. This is what Peter says. Peter, talking to some people who were interested in Jesus, said, This is the message of good news. Everybody say good news. news. Now, that was most of you. I said, everybody. Everybody say good news. All right, if you're online, just type it in, good news, all caps, because it's good news, right? This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. Let me just pause there. Some of you don't know that good news. Some of you want that good news. Some of you aren't sure why that's good news. Some of you don't have any peace in your life. You got disrupted relationships. You got disrupted funk going on at work you got something just in here that's just not right like it just is this ongoing nagging sensation that there's just a lack of peace and you're not sure why and, and maybe for some of you nobody else even knows like you put on the side it you look good like you look like you got peace in your life but you don't sleep quite right you you, you get in the car you're alone and man things just aren't quite right you know that you're missing peace. And you've been trying to find it at everything else, everywhere else, everyone else. Listen, we lack peace because we've gone our way instead of God's way. And you name the issue and you start to bring your life into alignment with what Jesus would have you do, whether it's finances or relationships or food or whatever. And you align yourself to what Jesus says. You allow him to be the Lord. We don't use that word in our culture much, Lord. It means leader. You allow Jesus to lead in your life, you'll begin to find peace. But you're never really gonna know peace until you fully surrender to him. You allow him to lead you. And you allow him to save you. Friend, that's the good news. The peace that you long for is found only in Jesus. And when we go our own way instead of his way, that's rebellion against a holy God. And some of y'all, you've done that just flat out. Like, forget you, God. Some of you, it hasn't been quite that that upfront. You've just been trying to figure it out on your own. Well, let me tell you this whole thing about Jesus, why there's good news in him, why there's peace through him. It's because all this way that we've done life has brought death to us. We feel it. We feel the pain of death around us and in us. We feel ourselves fine, just failing and falling apart. We feel The death of no peace, right? But what Jesus did on the cross for us is he came to take the death we deserve and give us life that we don't deserve in return. And when we surrender to him as Savior and we look to him as leader, we find peace. We find peace. You need it. And if you don't know it, I just want to invite you for those in the room today, man, don't leave this place until you have a conversation about getting that peace. Immediately after service, you find us right out there at the next steps counter. Say, man, I I want peace. We'll talk to you. For those of you online, you just type in in the chat space right now, I need that peace. And and maybe for those of you, you're not watching in real time, it's three in the morning, three days from now. That's fine. You call our church. We have an on-call number. And you let us know you need peace. We'll help you find it because there's nothing more important to us in our lives than helping you find that peace with Jesus. So Pete tells this woman, that's the good news is that we have peace through Jesus. And then he says, did you know what happened? Jesus went around doing what? Doing good. Everybody say, doing good." good. All right got most of y'all on that one. Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. I love that. Jesus went around doing good. That was his thing. That's what he always did all the time. Jesus was showing love. He was doing good to other people. He was doing all kinds of miracles. He was feeding their bellies. He was making blind people see. He was making deaf people hear. He was helping dead people live again. What? Crazy. Jesus was doing good. And when he did all those things, it stirred people up. They're like, Hey, tell us about this. Who are you? What are you about? And they saw him do good, and then they gave him a platform to speak into that. It allowed his words to be heard by that. His actions always got the attention of people, and it created room for his words to be heard. When we study the life of Jesus, when we study the life of the early Christians, the early church, this is what we see. We see this pattern, that good deeds create goodwill that creates a good platform for sharing the good news. That's A lot of goods, but that's a good thing. Let me say it for you again. Good deeds. When we do something good for somebody, that typically creates goodwill. Somebody's having a bad day, you do something good for them, that brightens their day. Somebody might not really be with you. They might not really like you. You do good to them, that begins to soften their heart. Not always, but usually. And that creates a good platform to share the good news. Hey, why are you so kind to me? Well, let me tell you. Because of the kindness of my God and kindness that he's shown me, I want to show that to you. So good news always accompanies the good deeds, and good deeds should always accompany the good news. That's a mission that Jesus invited us into. That's what Pete said, that Peter one of Jesus' friends writing to the early church said, you, and you can hear that as you, like all of us who follow Jesus, he's telling us, he says, you are royal priests, you're a holy nation, you are God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. You can show them And then he goes on in that same letter. He says, and if somebody asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. You show it, and then they ask, you tell it. It's show and tell, show and tell, show and tell. That's what it is. That's the mission he's been given us, or we've been given by him. So we show love to those in our circle of influence, and when possible, we tell them about the greatest love ever. We show love to all we can. Now, we got to remember, it's show and tell, not show or tell, that good deeds... Without good news just leaves people curious. Why were you so kind? And good news without good deeds just seems empty. No, I hear what you're saying, but I don't see it. It's the old adage. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. They want to see your love, not just hear of it. So those two things should always go together. Good deeds verify the good news. And good news, well, it clarifies the meaning of the good deeds. But we're also fully aware that we live in a world that's not as much about show and tell as it is scream and yell. There's a whole lot of screaming and yelling in our world today. I'm screaming and yelling. There's so much noise. Too much noise. Too much anger. Too much violence. Too much hatred. Too much division. And church, we don't need to add to that, do we? We don't need to join in. You ever had an argument a tiff, let's call it what it actually is. You ever had a fight with somebody you love, somebody you're close to, with a friend, a family member, sibling, parent, spouse, kid, and they're yelling. Like, you have done something, and it's caused them to yell at you. I mean, they're yelling full on, and then you yell back. You ever had one of those? Anybody? Anybody? I'm there. All right. Now, here's the deal. I got Irish blood in me, and I do not like to admit this. I try not to go. That used to be the way I would respond. With mom. I'm just going to out yell you. Like the fit's home growing up, we could yell, all right? And I'm, now that I'm the dad, sometimes, I'm ashamed to admit, sometimes I still find myself going back to those old ways. That's not good. I'm just big enough, and I can yell just loud. I mean, I would venture to say I can probably out yell most people. And I'm just big enough that I can, I can win the yelling match as though anybody ever wins. I might just end it. You don't win. And that nobody walks away from that feeling valued, feeling loved, feeling cared for, feeling heard. We, we walk away, here's what we do feel we feel resentment and we feel hurt. That's all. There's no win in that. So while the world around us is screaming and yelling, church, if we do the same, we start pointing the finger. We start getting angry. Well, your sin, well, the way you voted, well, the things you do. Does that help? Not Not typically. Not normally. They don't need us to scream and yell. They need us to show and tell. That that was the model of Jesus. And there's a place for truth in that. Don't don't misunderstand me. It's not just wishy-washy. Oh, I'm just going to love you and I'll be good. No, like we, we share truth. When we tell, we tell truth. But they got to see that we love them, that we care about them, so they can hear it. Like, that's where we go. And I've had too many times that I've missed it. Too many times that I've gotten it wrong. So what if, I know I ask that question around here a lot, but I love it, because I'm a dreamer. So I just want to invite you to dream with me. What if, what if while the world is screaming and yelling, what if we went up and we just entered in and said, hey, I'm sorry for your pain. I'm I'm sorry for your fears. Because that's usually what what the screaming and yelling is dealing with. People are, there's fear or there's hurt. There's fear or pain. That's why they're screaming and yelling. So, So what would happen if we, instead of screaming and yelling back, just entered in and said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the wound you bear. I'm sorry for the pain you've experienced. I'm sorry that you've been neglected. I'm sorry you've been misunderstood. I'm sorry you've not been heard. And I'm sorry for any part that I've had in that. What if, instead of screaming and yelling, we just showed and told and said, hey, can I hear your story? Can I just sit and weep with you? Can I, can I treat you to a meal? Like, isn't it crazy? Like, Food is the great diffuser of pain and arguments. We just treat somebody to a meal and hear their story. doesn't mean we have to agree with everything but it might give us a place to be heard. So church, while the world around us screams and yells about all the problems and pain, think of what would happen if we respond by showing and telling of the greatest love ever. What if we each made it our habit to show love to just one person every day? Small ways, big ways, whatever it all counts, each one of us to one other person each day showed love. Love. What if we did that? What if we just did good for one person each day? You make dinner for your neighbor. Maybe you invite your neighbor over for dinner. Maybe you mow their lawn or you're taking their trash. Maybe you encourage that young mom at the grocery store, that young dad who's trying to navigate the kids and doesn't have the, the nurturing instinct of the mom and he's like freaking out. You just you show them some love and you encourage him. What if you wash somebody's windows at the gas station while they're pumping their gas? What if... You ask your server how they're doing. Like, you no, know, really, how are you doing? And you hear some of their story, and then you just offer to pray for it. And then you double your tip. Or some of you are terrible tippers. And you might need, like, triple or quadruple your tip. But what what if we were to do that? Think how much that could begin to change the world. Think how much that could begin to change what's going on around us. There's roughly a 1,000 adults connected to this church. 1,000 adults. If each one of us did just one act of kindness, one Act of mercy, one encouraging word to somebody, one selfless, kind act. If each one of us do that to just one other person every day for the next year, that's 365,000 positive, kind gestures in our community to show this world that there's a God who operates very differently than what they might think. Think of the influence that might have. I gotta believe that's gonna begin not just to change our community, but to change our world. That's gonna lead us somewhere better. And every one of those interactions matters. And every one of those interactions can move somebody closer or further from God. So imagine this scale with me. Zero is somebody, the same person on, on the scale. Zero is them being about as far from God as they might be. And, and 100 is them making a commitment to follow Jesus. Now, the scale keeps going up because after we make that commitment, we still need encouragement. We still need kindness in our lives. We should be showing that to one another. We should be loving each other. So this is not just for those out there. This is also for those in here. And, and I see zero is about as far from God, but we know somebody who can move down into that negative. So everything we do, every interaction we have can move somebody either one up or one down. One up or one down. You, you write an encouraging note for a coworker, That might move them from 79 to 80. You take in your neighbor's trash. That might move him from a zero to a one. You, you offer to pray for your neighbor, not just praying that they would become a Christian. Hopefully that's, like that should always be our ultimate motive, but that should never be our ulterior motive. We pray for them not because we want them to become a Christian. We pray for them because we already are following Jesus. And so we want to pray God's blessing over them. And so you hear their story, you hear their hurts, and you just, you just pray for them. And that might move them from like, a 58 to a 59, that might move him from a skeptic to being curious and inquisitive about God. Church, here's what I want to encourage you to do. See, every interaction we have can move somebody either one up or one down on the scale, closer to God or further away. We can move them further from God. Think of screaming and yelling. That might move him away from God. But showing them some love can move them towards God. So here is my challenge for all of us. Be a do-gooder, one-upper. Be a do-gooder, one-upper. Show some goodness. Show some love to the people around you. And move them one notch up that scale. Every day, one person. Do good. Move them one up. And they might have a hundred other people trying to move them down. So just move them one up. Move them one up. Be a do-gooder, one-upper. Make it your goal to move someone one notch closer to Jesus every day. And... Let's think of what would happen if we get really specific about who we were doing this, to, who we were showing and telling. Let's say this grid right here represents your neighborhood. The X in the middle represents your home. And these boxes around you are your neighbors. I want you to try this this afternoon. You leave here, go home, draw it out. Can you fill in the names of your neighbors who live around you? And not just one of the people in the house, but like the entire household spouse, kids, grandparents, whoever's living there, extended family. And can you tell me something meaningful about them? What do you know about them? Do you know their hopes? Do you know their dreams? Do you know where they work? Do you know their fears? Do you know their hurts? Do you know something significant about them? Their habits? And I don't mean just like, oh, well, I know Joe's a plumber. Yeah, he's got a plumbing truck parked in his driveway. Doesn't count, right? Oh yeah, Mary over there, she, she cheers for UK. Yeah, cause she flies the flag and wears blue every day. It doesn't count. Like something meaningful because you've had a conversation. I'm going to be really transparent with you right now. I thought I was doing pretty good with this. Thought I was doing well. Until I started writing this part of the sermon and I almost did not include this because, man, the Spirit has been convicting me this week. I don't know enough. Church, on a scale of one to ten, I'm a pretty terrible neighbor is what I realized. I know some of them, and I know a lot about a few of them. There's two things God wants me to do, and that's to love him and love my neighbor. And that probably should include my actual, physical, literal neighbor in the houses around me, across the street and next door. i got to do a better job with my neighbor. And for me, they know what I do. So I need to show it a little more. For some of them, a lot more. And I pray that at some point that gives me, that gives me a place to say it to tell it. Now, now what if we did that same grid for the people we work with? Let's put the grid up. What about the people who are in the cubicle around you? Or, you know, maybe you own your own business. What about the businesses right next door, the restaurant down the street, the place where you eat all the time? What if students, you began doing this for the students who sit around you in class, the other students on the team or in the club? Maybe you even include your teacher in there, your coach in there. What if we all began being do-gooder, one-uppers for the people who live right with us as God's missionaries to the world right where we are? Think how that might change the world. So let me give us four things that was us get super practical with this. First, just get to know the people around you. Ask them some questions. Just have a conversation. Just get to know them. And then pray for them. And do this first. Before you talk to them, talk to God about them. And certainly before you talk to them about God, talk to God about them. And just pray for them. Pray God's blessing on them. And then show them some love, whatever way you can. If you're a student, I don't know, buy their lunch, help them pick up their books, do whatever it might be. Show them some love. And then be willing to tell them about God's love for them. And that might be certain with your story about how you've experienced his love. Maybe you find out what's hurting in their life and you know God speaks directly to that. And don't force that. Don't force that conversation. But that's usually not the problem for us. Usually avoidance is a problem, so don't avoid it either. Church, what if we all got to know the people next door and we prayed for them every day and every day we showed them some love and when the situation's right, we told them about the greatest love they could ever know. What if we all became a bunch of do-gooding one uppers I think it might just change the world. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And God, you've created us for a purpose. So we pray in this moment, God, that you would give us the courage and the ability, the willingness to live live on purpose, to live on mission, and to live out the purpose you've created us for. Everywhere we go, with everyone we meet, with every word, every action that we would, that we would just be a church full of do-good and one-uppers. And that because of that, you'd get all the glory. That all the praise would go to you. Because you're the only one who deserves it, Jesus. So we pray it in your name. Amen.